Good day, my name is Sky, and I appreciate you spending some study time with me. I'm here to help you make money in online poker by teaching you key strategies and getting you to take action. I love answering your questions. That's what we're doing today. Four answers to four important questions from you. Please go to the show notes page to help you take notes. Smartpokerstudy.com slash pod 448. Okay, we're going to get right to this bad boy. Gambate. Well, where are you at now, boy? I feel really bad about this, but I'm not going to tell you that. We do not do that to each other. We're ravagers. we got a code. Yeah, and that code is steal from everybody. Question number one comes to us from JD. And JD says, I enjoyed your challenge from last week, and I'm looking to do, to do more. What challenge do you think I should do? Well, th- thanks for the question, JD. Um, so... The, the challenge that JD was referencing, it's the steal, steal, steal challenge. And um, uh, you can see what that's all about. It's just all about stealing more pre-flop, post-flop as well. Um, smartpokersidey.com slash pod 446. Or there's a link in today's show notes page, right? Now, I wasn't going to do a new challenge anytime soon. But then JD sent in this email. And I thought, hey, why not? Let me think about a challenge, right? And I was in my PokerForge Discord group and I saw a post from Roy. Now, Roy is crushing it. Over 25,000 hands. He's doing his own personal challenge. I mean, I gave this challenge out a while ago. Um, but he's doing, he's done it for over 25,000 hands where he's playing the Kiss cash game ranges at 5NL, 10NL, and 25NL, over 25,000 hands, and he's crushing it. So that's what I'm going to be doing. I guess you can consider it like a three-part challenge. I'm going to play 5,000 hands at 5NL, uh, $5 buy-in games, uh, on Ignition Poker, and then 5,000 hands at 10NL, and then 5,000 hands at 25NL. The whole while using, or the whole time using the Kiss Cash Game ranges. Now, for those of you who don't know the Kiss Cash Game ranges, you can actually on the show notes page for today, smartpokerstudy.com/pod448. You can get these ranges. They tell you what hands by position you should open raise or call even ISO raise. Also, what hands you should three bet and call three bets and four bet as well. So, go to the show notes page to get those ranges. Now, if you've read my book, Preflop Online Poker, or you've listened to the podcast in the past, these are the same ranges I've given out plenty of times, right? So the ranges themselves, nothing new to these ranges. It's just that I'm going to be doing this three-part challenge, 5NL, 10NL, and 25NL, 5,000 hands each. So thanks again for that question, JD. Um, in the n- coming up soon enough, once I complete this challenge, and I'm hoping it'll take me three weeks, but it might take me a little bit longer. Um, I will give a recap or I will do a recap episode where I discuss my results. And I'll also give you tips for using the KISS cash game ranges. Now, I'm going to be doing this um, uh, uh, strictly on Ignition Poker. So if you want to follow along and do this challenge for yourself, and you could do, you know, 2NL, 5NL, 10NL, 25NL, whatever stakes that you want. I'm just choosing those three, 5, 10, and 25, all on ignition. Potentially later on, I can repeat the same uh, challenge, but do them on America's card room instead. Um, so if you are taking on this challenge for yourself, good luck to you. Please wish me luck. And like I said, we'll come back in maybe three weeks or so with an update on results. Now, question number two comes to us from Darren. Uh, It's about moving up in stakes. Darren says, my question to you, what's it like going up in stakes in online cash games? I'm guessing there's an overlap in skill between all the stakes and that it's not a straight line of skill increase along the way. 
Any advice for moving up? And I think you're right about that, Darren. And thanks for the question. When you're moving up, you're generally going to find like a greater proportion of aggressive players and also competent players as you move up in stakes. However, there's still plenty of uh, players making mistakes at every level, and there's still plenty of fish at every level too, right? Good table selection, which I talked about in a recent podcast. It's going to help you find those fish. But um, players are still making mistakes, whether they're competent or tight aggressive or loose aggressive and winning players or not. So there's always ample uh, opportunities or players to exploit and ways to exploit these various players. Now, if you're starting out the lowest levels, 2NL, 5NL, 10NL, the player pool between those three, it's basically the same with a ton of fish. And as you move up through them, progressively more regs, you know, competent, tight, aggressive, loose, aggressive players. Um, when you get to 25NL, there's an interesting thing that happens at 25NL. That's where you'll start to find professional players. Now, they aren't maybe professional players making $100,000 a year. They could be professional players making $10,000 per year, but they live in a low-cost country. And then so you're going to start finding at 25NL some very strong players. So just be on the lookout for those once you get to that level. Now, you would ask for any advice for moving up. So some of my tips right here. Um, number one is to keep looking for the fish. The number one thing for profitable poker is finding, targeting, and playing hands against the fish. So that table selection is critical. Um, when you're thinking about moving up, I recommend to take stabs at the next stake, just one table at a time. So maybe you feel like, hey, I'm doing good. This is 5NL. I want to try some 10NL. Awesome. However many tables you play, cut it down to just two or three tables and have one of those tables be the higher stake. So for example, two tables of 5NL and one table of 10NL. So you're getting that, you're slowly acclimating yourself to that higher stake. And this is a key thing. If your software allows, like on um, America's Card Room, and I think PokerStars does it as well, you want to view chip stacks in big blinds, not dollars. When you do that, you don't see the amount of money at risk. So you're not... If you're if you're if you're worried about having ten dollars at risk in a ten dollar game, all you see is a hundred big blinds right there. It helps you to mitigate that risk in your mind, right? Because everything's just big blinds that you're working with. Highly recommend that um, for that kiss challenge, like I just mentioned. I'm going to be playing five, ten, and twenty five NL on ignition, and ignition doesn't allow you to view it in big blinds, which is a bummer. I'm, I just love seeing it in big blinds, um, so I recommend that if the software allows. Now another tip. Follow the 40 buy-in bankroll rule. That means if you're playing 5NL, your bankroll should be 40 buy-ins or $200 at least, right? For 10NL, you want to have $400, 40 buy-ins of $10. Uh, when you get, so let's say you're playing 5NL right now. When you get near the $400 bankroll, let's say you're at 350 370 380 that's easily a time when you can start taking a stab at 10NL just one table at a time. And so the key thing is moving up gradually. I don't want you to, you know, build your bankroll. All of a sudden you're at 400 bucks. Bam, you leave 5NL, you're only 10NL. No, no, no. Do it, like I said before, acclimate yourself to the stake. Play hands one table at a time at 10NL. Develop a database. Go through those hands. Analyze your opponents. And start to get comfortable with that stake. 
when you get more comfortable and if you're seeing some good results, go ahead and add a second table and then a third. And eventually, when you reach 40 buy-ins at that next higher stake, and if you feel like you're ready, just make the complete move up to that higher stake. But here's the thing. Be ready to drop back down to 5NL um, if you hit a bad streak. And all of a sudden, you go from 40 buy-ins, maybe you go up to 42 buy-ins, but then you get hit by something hard, you're down to 30 buy-ins. Go ahead, drop back down to 5NL, that stake where you knew... Uh, you knew you were profitable, you were building your role to get 210L, drop back down, build that role up again, and then make that uh, jump up to 10NL at some point in the future. All right, question three is about tournament tracking. This comes to us from John. He says, I play on ignition, but mostly tournaments. I've been doing very well in progressive knockouts. However, I find the actual bounties are not imported into Poker Tracker 4 and credited as Cash 1. I know you play mostly cash, but have you come across this issue before? Also, any $25 or above tournament is not recorded at all. I know this relates to the version of Poker Tracker 4 that I bought, so can you help me out? And good question, John. Definitely, I have had experience with this, especially when it comes to America's Card Room tournaments and Poker Tracker 4 recording them. So, as long as you're using that ignition hand grabber, you're going to be getting all the hands from Poker Tracker 4 or uh, from ignition into Poker Tracker 4, and you're able to use the uh, HUD as you play. So go to the show notes page for today for a link to my affiliate link for the hand grabber right there. Um, so you should be getting all the information into Poker Tracker 4. And I don't, oh, and also you need to have that full version of PT4. I think it's like $20 games and below is the the small stakes version. And the full version just covers all the stakes. You might as well just go big, get the full version. Even if you're starting off, everybody, if you're starting off right now at just playing 2NL and $2 buy-in tournaments, just start the big. I mean, the goal, you're playing poker to build your role, to make money, to play higher stakes. Go ahead and just upgrade right now if you haven't already if you're going to purchase poker tracker 4 just get the bigger one the, the full version so you can record every game right what if you win a, a $10 satellite into a uh, $215 tournament awesome you got a ticket now you're going to play the $215 tournament but poker tracker 4 isn't going to record that right so you might as well boom just start off go big with everything now i don't think it's necessarily Poker Tracker 4's fault when tournament info isn't recorded. Um, I think that some of the sites, they don't... In the, in the hand histories and tournament histories saved on your computer, I don't think they save all the information necessary for Poker Tracker 4 to, to, to grab. So I recommend that you manually track your buy-ins and bounties and payouts with a piece of paper as you play. Now, it's a pain in the butt having to do this manually, but that allows you to get all the necessary information. So when I play tournaments, I always record on a piece of paper the buy-in, the rake as well. So if I'm playing like a $10 tournament with a dollar rake, I'll write 10 plus one, you know. Um, I'll also record my finishing position and any payouts that I earn. I'll record all of those on a piece of paper. And then so I'll go into Poker Tracker 4 later on and find the tournament. When you find the tournament, you right-click on it and just hit Edit Tournament. And then you just make sure all the details are recorded properly. So, for example, maybe you play a progressive knockout. You collect three bounties, a $10, a $20, and a $30. And you also win $80. 
you didn't get first place, but you won some money for your finish. Um, you just want to go go into the tournament and have $60, 10 plus 20 plus 30 as the bounties one, and then $80 for your payout right there. And then so that 60 plus 80 is $140 win minus the buy-in. Boom, there's your profit. There's the results for that sp- particular tournament. And the reason why you want to do this manually, uh, it's the whole garbage in, garbage out idea. You want to know how truly profitable you are. And it's really helpful, especially if you play a lot of different tournaments. You know, you can always look at your bankroll. You start this month with $1,000. You end the month with $1,200. Great. You're up $200. Awesome. But you want to see it on a tourney by tourney basis so that you know which games are profitable for you. Maybe you play a 10 to $10 tournaments, but you played one $50 tournament this month. Maybe you lost a lot of money in all those $10 tournaments, but you had a big score in the 50. If you just see that you're up 200 bucks for the month, you might delude yourself into thinking, hey, I'm doing good as a tournament player. But when you see those results and you can go through and analyze the tournament uh, tournament results, all the hands in the tournament, you can find your areas of opportunity, figure out what you're doing wrong, and then you can start to fix those areas. All right, question four is on the red line. This is from Nectarios. I want to ask about fixing the red line. I know it's a vast topic, but what do you think is the number one factor that can affect the red line? Uh, Thanks for the question, Nectarios. And yes, it is a vast topic, but we can break it down into that one thing, the number one factor. Oh, first, for those who don't know what a red line is, um, the red line, it's a graph in Poker Tracker 4, and it shows your non-showdown winnings. So if you win a lot of pots, without showdown, you know, you're betting, you're raising, you're getting them to fold. Then you have a positive red line that, 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 that line is slanting upwards. If you lose a lot of pots because you fold earlier in the hand, you'll have a negative red line. So when Nectario says, um, uh, fixing the red line, a lot of players look at those results and they see that downward sloping graph or line in the graph. And they think, Oh my God, I got to win more pots without showdown. want to fix that, get it positive. Right now, The number one factor that can affect your red line that I think um, the number one factor is entering a hand pre-flop with a plan for how to steal it post-flop. Now, whether you're calling or raising pre-flop, your ranges don't hit a pair or better than a pair 65% of the time. This means that the most likely way that you're going to win the hand is to successfully bluff at some point. And that's why I did the steal, steal, steal challenge two weeks ago. I wanted to work on and develop and build my pre-flop and post-flop stealing skills. And by doing so, right, by being able to steal more pots, you're just naturally going to have more more non-showdown hands won. Your profits will go up, and that red line is naturally going to go up as well. So to give you a tip, depending on how you enter the hand pre-flop, you want to make a plan. Let's imagine you're thinking about calling pre-flop. Somebody open raised, you're going to call. You want to know, before you call, think about this stuff. Think about your opponent. You want to know the raiser's c-betting tendencies. You want to know what street he's honest on. Um, You want to know if he folds to donk bets. Maybe he's a one-and-done c-better. Maybe he's just a fit-or-fold player, and if he doesn't hit anything, he's going to check to you. You want to know that stuff because it's going to help you develop a plan before you even call preflop for how you can steal it from this open raiser. Now, before you raise preflop... You want to look around at the players still to act, and you want to think about who is the most likely 
caller. You might be raising in the cutoff. You got three potential callers, button, small blind, big blind. Of each of those players, who folds a lot on the flop? Maybe who folds a lot on the turn? Maybe some of these players are sticky with any draw and any pair. You want to think about their post-flop tendencies against the pre-flop raiser and see how you can steal the pot from them, come up with plans. Are you going to C-bet, C-bet big, make small C-bets, double barrel, triple barrel maybe? Can these players use their position against you? Is the button player going to call? And as soon as you check, he's going to bomb the pot on the flop and the turn. I mean, I don't know. You got you to gotta plan for how they can exploit you, but also for ways that you can steal the pot from them. And if you've never thought about post-flop plans before you enter the pot pre-flop, this is going to be a change for you. It's a new way to think about the hand. You're not just, from now on, you're not just going to look down, oh, Jack-10 suited, that's worth calling. No, 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 no. Jack-10 suited, maybe I'll call, who's the open raiser? What street is he honest on? Does he C-bet the flop and then check the turn a lot? Does he make small C-bets when he's bluffing and big C-bets when he has a value hand? Thinking about that stuff ahead of time. Now you're using more than just your Jack-10 suited to um, to determine whether or not calling is the good play. And then when you're able to make better plans, especially for stealing, you're going to increase your non-showdown winnings, which will improve that red line. Alrighty, poker peeps, thank you so much for listening. Once again, go to the show notes page, smartpokerstudy.com slash pod448. Um, you'll see basically a transcript of today's episode, all the questions and the answers, and it'll help you maybe copy and paste and take very simple notes in your poker journal. And of course, if you want to take me up on that KISS cash game ranges challenge, right there on the show notes page, you can download the ranges. Until next time, take action both on and off the felt to become the player that you want to be. Music